Okay, we're going to start with um, some presentations from our emergency uh, agencies, or our safety agencies. And we're going to start with DPD, we're going to go through fire, Denver Health, uh, paramedics division, we have kayak, which you'll learn about them. They're each going to do a 10-minute presentation um, on their safety agency, and, um, oh, Kayak, yes, Devin from Kayak. And then at 11.40, we're going to go right into the, the interactive panel where you'll be able to ask as many questions as you want, um, and they'll be up here answering your questions. So I'm going to uh, kick it off to Sylvia, uh, who's going to speak for Denver Police Department. Good morning. I'm filling in for Captain or uh, Commander Pat Phelan. He um, had another uh, situation to take care of. So the let's see where we are. Special events. Okay. The Denver Police Department works closely with all of the special events that occur in the city and county of Denver, and our traffic operations unit um, works very closely with them because we have a special events unit within the traffic operations um, bureau. So they work very, very close setting it up, getting the police officers for security. So what I'm going to go through is our, what our specific part is as law enforcement officers in a special event in Denver. So the first thing um, I'd like to tell you about is that DPD will send out once they know of an event, they'll send out this special events unit questionnaire to whoever's heading up or organizing the special event. And this goes through, let me see, here it is. So the security questionnaire considerations. So these are all the types of considerations that we, um, we need to know in order to provide our side of your event so you can have the best event possible. So we're looking at uh, details for things like with the type of event, Barricades and fencing, um, do you have a, are you getting a permit to go throughout the city and county Denver? What's your parade route or event route? Um, so these are all the types of things that we're looking for. Your security personnel, do you have security personnel at, that you're bringing in that is your own security personnel or is there um, security personnel that work at the venue that you are having your event at, and then do they um, uh, participate in the special outside events from their day-to-day -day type of duties at that particular venue? Um, the in ingress and egress of your event is extremely important, and if you ha ever have any doubt about if you're set up correctly and do you have the uh, proper amount of entrances and exits and stuff, contact the police department, contact the fire department, they're the experts on things like that because they've been doing it forever as long as the fire department has been in existence. So there's always that expert to go to to ensure that your event is set up according to fire code, according to the city ordinances, and that you will have the, the absolute most safe event that you possibly can. Um, and then police security. Are you really going to need police security at that event? Is it that large? And the larger events, of course, require law enforcement. One of the main things, too, we're looking at is that is your private security armed? Are they licensed to be armed or are they just the security that is unarmed? So these are all the things that you'll answer in this questionnaire. And then you'll send it back to our special events unit and then we will go from there. 
So here we go with the type of event. You know, we're all, obviously we're looking for the, the date, the time, um, where, where it's going to be your anticipated cry, uh, crowd size, because all of that is really a consideration as to how many police officers do you actually need there, how many private security, armed, unarmed, and so is there conflicting events? And usually that's done on the side of the police department about for us to look at is there a Rockies game going? Is it the beginning of uh, the Broncos season? And do we have a run going on at the same time? Because that is going to really stretch the amount of police officers that we could have at any type of event because we are trying to staff all of those events. And there is a requirement that in certain venues that if there is a crowd over so many people that you will have so many officers. And I know sometimes it's left to the event to decide how many officers they want, but a lot of times it's set by the safety of, for the officers as well as the participants in the event that there are enough police officers um, for, so that it is a safe event in case something goes wrong. Um, Parking. Parking is always huge, especially because of how many events are in downtown Denver area. And so people get really agitated about parking. So you want to be sure that in, when you push out the information about your event, that parking is taken care of or somehow mentioned in, their, in the information about your event. Um, is this a public or private event? And that usually makes it a huge difference too because most private events are not going to um, be in the Civic Center Park, something that big. Um, usually they're indoors, but they could be outdoors. So those are all considerations that um, law enforcement is looking for in order to put together their side of the safety plan um, for the particular event. So enter the, what kind of entertainment, the vendors, noise, food, alcohol, and of course now we always have to consider marijuana. And this is huge because a lot, a lot of times when there are events that have alcohol and now marijuana, you know, they, we put um, undercover or plainclothes officers in that venue to ensure that there's not going to be um, sales of alcohol or marijuana to underage uh, event goers and stuff. So it's, it's huge, it's important, and we're there not to try to make arrests or ticket everybody and stuff, but to ensure that the event, if it's going to happen again the next year or in a few months, whatever the schedule is for the event, that you're able to do it. Because just like a bar, restaurant, liquor store, if you sell to underage um, kids, then you know, there's a, a good possibility that you'll not get permitted again to have that event. And you know, we shut down temporarily um, liquor stores or restaurants and with bars in them if you know, we find that they are selling to underage people. So that's a, that is the reason why we do that. We don't do that to try to destroy the event or try to arrest people and stuff, but we want to ensure that that is not happening. So event details such as these are really, really important for uh, law enforcement. Barricades and fencing. This is, I don't know if you can really see the, the red outline here, but this is an aerial view of 
the route for the Colorado Classic that happened last year in August. And so that was huge. And you know, that started in Colorado Springs. It went up through the mountains and stuff. So it was a huge undertaking. And Colorado State Patrol took the lead on that. And obviously Denver took the lead on um, where they were going to have certain venues, you know, there and so there was this big fenced-off area downtown that um, people who bought tickets could be, and you know there were some issues with that because there were more people than they anticipated. So there's always those learning curves too about putting on a huge event like the Colorado Classic, and then finding out, boy, you know, that fencing thing just didn't work for us, but. Um, what kind of fencing do you need for your particular event? Is it a chain link fence or is it something that you need bigger like jersey barriers, you know, those big concrete barriers? And, you know, you have to always think about the security you need in your event because there's a cost to it all. Chain link fencing is a lot less expensive than when you're hauling out the jersey barriers to block streets or your, the route for your parade or your run, or in this case, the Colorado Classic Bicycles. So this, this map is the route for the Parade of Lights that happens every year. So and here the, a, a picture of the Jersey barriers. So, you know, because of the changing world that we're in, and it continually changes, that we, we do have to up our security in the way we look at things. And so having those threat assessments done, and we had a threat assessment done by our uh, kayak um, for the Parade of Lights, because you know, we, there, we saw a lot of those you know, drive through the barricades type of situations happening in other states. So we were very aware of that. And so you're looking at what types of barriers do we need and really what has to be blocked off. Do we really need to block off every single alley or um, because we don't have enough police officers to put at every single entryway that a car could go through, whether it be alleys or uh, thoroughfares, the streets, you know, coming out of parking lots. Those are all the things that whether it's, um, the Denver Police Department or your private security that you have to think about. And remember, ultimately the event is yours and you wanna have a safe event. So having that walk through with the event with the special events um, unit or with the Denver Police Department or even the fi um, firefighters, you know, they'll be happy if you have concerns about the egress and it, uh, about your event, you know, that we're always happy to assist you with that. So security personnel, remember that when you hire security personnel that are not Denver police officers, that make sure that they're properly licensed. And if you, they're armed, make sure that they are properly licensed to be armed because that could go downhill real fast and you don't want to get um, you know, tagged on some type of an issue that you didn't look at their permitting or their licensing for the guards that you're hiring. Um, and then do you have adequate staffing? So is there adequate staffing to handle all of that um, perimeter of your event and then whatever you need inside because the last thing you want to do is be stretched you know for that staffing issue that you know maybe it was just a question uh, or a disagreement between a couple people you know about maybe seats if it's where everybody's coming in and, and sitting down at the venue you know that some uh, a staff person could have taken care of so staffing is really important with any type of event so 
And then is this a, an event like, and I'll, I'll take the um, Taste of Colorado. So we all know that that setup has to happen prior to the event actually starting. So there's overnight security. So those are considerations also. Do you need overnight security? And does that overnight security need to be armed? What is at your venue that has to be protected? Um, so that those are all considerations. Do you need DPD officers or can you have security guards that are armed or do you just need security that are unarmed? Searches, handbags, uh, whether we're searching handbags or um, uh, like coolers, if coolers are allowed in the event and stuff, and then do you just need a, a wand or a magnetometer? Yeah, magnetometer. And so, so, and then are your people trained at that? Because a lot of times tempers start flaring when you've got huge crowd coming to your event and they're waiting in line and it's taking forever because you've got this really conscientious person that's gonna search everything and they wanna know what's in every zippered uh, uh, compartment of that bag and stuff. So make sure you train your people who are at the search area of the entrance to your event, what are they looking for? What is a good fast search so you could keep moving those people and getting them into the venue and that tempers don't start flaring? And especially if weather is an issue, you don't want them just standing there in the heat and waiting for this thorough search. You want a good search, but I don't think it, uh, you know, you may have to stop at having every zipper of some type of a bag opened. And then make sure that that is part of the information that you push out too. What is being allowed inside that event venue. And I know that when you go into the Pepsi Center, you can only have a bag that measures so big. And I think in um, uh, Mile High Stadium stuff, you still have to have a clear bag if you take one in. So that's all good information for the, for the public to know what can and cannot be brought in. And then the in, ingress and egress is huge too. So I'm gonna use the example way back in 2008 when we had the DNC here and everybody did such an incredible job but at the last minute we moved um, President Obama's um, speech to accept the nomination from the Pepsi Center over to Mile High State. So it overnight, we moved the venue, we got it over there and unfortunately, because of the amount of fencing that had to be put around the stadium, there were not enough exits for the people to leave at the end of the event. And so what happened was people got frustrated trying to get to the couple exits that were provided for, and they just knocked the fencing over and left. So, I mean, there was no... <laughs> there was not, it wasn't a big issue, but you really don't want your event goers to have to push the fencing over to get out because they're so frustrated they can't find the exit. So having enough exits and enough entrances for that matter is important to the success of your event. Communications is huge because obviously uh, law enforcement is on one type of radio, uh, private security may be on another type of radio. So to find out how everybody's gonna communicate during your event is really important. And so that should be done um, a long time prior to it so that you could work out any bugs about how are we gonna communicate with each other if we all have a different radio system and what does that look like? So you always have to consider uh, your communication system that you're having at your event and also um, to have a map of the area so that everybody that is working the event has that map and knows where the exits and entrances are and 
And then do you have security staff, medical emergencies? Do you have paramedics on standby? So those are all considerations for a successful event. Police security. If you feel like you um, need more security than what is happening on the day of your event, the police department can provide that for you. So here we have one of our dogs. It's a bomb sniffing dog. And so, so if you feel like you need uh, the, the police department to run a, a dog through your venue to sniff out for bombs and stuff, we are happy to do that. That is what we're here. You just need to request it. And then, of course, we have um, officers on motorcycles, bicycles. We have officers assigned to the staff and um, to the event that are off-duty. And we also obviously have the on-duty officers that if a call for help or some type of situation would arise at the event would come in and assist also. And then emergency plan. Whether you have an emergency plan for a severe weather that may come in because it's an outdoor venue or terrorism, bomb threat, if there's any kind of information or intelligence that you know of that you have concern about for anything that might be adverse to your event, don't hesitate to contact us because that's what we're here for. And then I know Kayak is going to follow up on that also. And so that's... Um, the, a brief overview of what the police department does, and I'd like to turn it over to um, Jordan from the cell. Do you, do you have slides? No slides. Okay. Wonderful. Well, good morning, everyone. I'll just take a moment of your time briefly. You've heard my name's Jordan Clark. I'm one of the assistant directors for the cell which is a nonprofit actually located right here in Denver, actually just a few blocks away. Uh, we're the Counterterrorism Education Learning Lab. And so you've heard of us briefly uh, throughout this presentation this morning about some of the partners that we engage with to provide what's called our Community Awareness Program or Public Safety Training, really in, in partnership with local law enforcement, Department of Homeland Security, the Kayak, and a lot of our local public safety agencies to help train not only law enforcement security personnel, but with the resource to uh, educate your volunteers, your vendors, um, stakeholders with the events that you service to help be those what we call a force multiplier, extra eyes and ears to help understand if you see something, say something. And what we actually do with this program and really what it speaks to you all being private industry, special event venues, is this program has actually been Safety Act certified through the Department of Homeland Security as an anti-terrorism technology. And what that means is it provides liability insurance protections and coverage for you all uh, against any acts of terrorism or those types of incidents that do occur if, you're, uh, if you do go through this program. And so what this program really is, the Community Awareness Program, is we actually partner with our law enforcement agencies that help support your events to train your volunteers in a very short amount of time on really what is it that they should be looking for and where they need to be getting this information to in a very short amount of time so that way nothing becomes problematic. And so we actually just got done training about 15,000 people for the Super Bowl uh, in Minneapolis, working with their volunteers, the host committee, the planning committee uh, to train not only the, the volunteers but a lot of the city personnel, the vendors, security personnel in and around the stadium to help enhance safety and security, but also facilitate the guest uh, experience that you all certainly are very mindful of. You want to make sure that this is an awesome experience for those that you're serving, but also you want it to be safe and fun for everyone. And so we just want to let you know that we're, we're a resource right here for you all. There's significant partners that we're delighted to work with, such as Pride Fest, 
Uh, I see the Classic in here, Pepsi Center in the Rockies, and a number of others. Uh, but we want to just know that uh, we want to be a resource for you all to help uh, partner with you in, in this effort to keeping these events safe and secure. And I'm not going to hone in on what we know about what we've seen in the past. Uh, we just are excited to, to be a resource for you right here in Denver uh, to provide this, this training. And whether you have 20 volunteers or 4,000 volunteers, uh, we can uh, really come to you and, and, and identify how we can train your volunteers and be that force multiplier to help enhance the, the safety and security for your events. And I'll leave some information on the tables just outside for you all. It does have my contact information, but uh, we just want to let you know that there is a resource available to you all uh, here in the, in the Denver area to help provide some, some good education that's certified, that's vetted, uh, really in partnership with our public safety community uh, to help facilitate a, an awesome experience for your events. So thank you very much for your time, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to the experts here. All right, so first I want to thank Katie and Ryan and their teams for putting this together. A lot of people in here I've worked with before. I'm seeing a ton of familiar faces, and I really, really, really want to thank everybody for being here today. Um, this is something that I've been in this piece of the fire department for about 10 years now since the DNC. I was brought on over to kind of start working with events. Um, so I have a significant background of working with events, both public and private, uh, with the venues and a lot of the events that you guys put on on a daily basis. Um, the mission of the Denver Fire Department, um, it is what it is. We're here for you. We're here as public servants to go out there and, and mitigate emergencies and help with preparedness and prevention. Um, we do that through a couple of things, community involvement, working with you guys, partnering with different agencies within the city, um, and, and really being a collaborative effort together to come together and get everything accomplished so that we can have safe events that are good for the city, people are enjoying themselves, and... Uh, and, and we're just moving forward in a, in a direction that's good for everybody. Public events, um, we have public assemblies, which are indoor events. We talked a little bit about, I think Ryan mentioned 700. Our office of special events and public assemblies reviews somewhere in the neighborhood of about 16 to 1800 events a year. Um, that includes public and private events, ranging from tiny farmers markets all the way up to the largest events that go on in the city. Um, so we see quite a bit. Um, and we obviously, um, we know we have everything from the convention center, the Pepsi center, um, and, and to kind of talk about that a little bit, we spend quite a bit of time, and I want to throw props out, especially to the three venues, Coors Field, uh, Sports Authority Field at Mile High, and the Pepsi Center. They go to great lengths to put on tabletop trainings for all their partners and stakeholders, um, usually with Homeland Security, sometimes the FBI, um, and the various city agencies, and we really dig down into looking at how we would handle emergencies, uh, both uh, all the way from when it happens all the way to how we deal with uh, the aftermath and mental health and uh, recovery processes. There's two sides of the fire department. I'm just gonna cover our resources kind of quickly. Um, we have operations and we have fire prevention. Fire prevention is the code piece. It's the legal piece, the law piece. Most everybody's familiar with the fire code and all the permits that you have to get. That is in our fire prevention division. We have a specific unit that does public assemblies. Um, that's what they do. There's a team of about four people that work on that. Uh, there's a captain and two technicians and a civilian employee that work on 
the permitting process and navigating you through that. Usually you'll be routed to us through the Office of Special Events so that you can get the appropriate permits that you need, whether it's temporary membrane structures and tents, um, generators, anything to do with fuel. And we'll also look at, like uh, Sylvia was talking a little bit about before, and I don't want to be too redundant, the uh, access, ingress, egress, um, how close is your event going to be to, to buildings that you're not even thinking about? You're putting generators that are close to a building that might have an HVAC unit, and is anything being uh, brought into that building from, you know, from that generator? Uh, are you limiting access to the fire department to get into that building if there's an emergency in that building, which isn't even part of your, uh, may not be part of your specific footprint? Um, so they're looking at all kinds of stuff like that. Obviously, um, Ryan touched a little bit about pyrotechnics. We review every pyrotechnic event. Every pyrotechnic event in the city has a Denver firefighter who's specifically trained in pyrotechnics, code enforcement, and review at that, whether it's, again, indoor events, outdoor events, wherever. Um, floor plan, site plan reviews, uh, just like Sylvia was talking about, we will review anything. It's not a requirement unless you're at an indoor event. Fire code predominantly deals with physical structures. So if you're in a park, I can't give you what would be the widest access for your, your chain link fence. Um, there's nothing in the fire code that says anything like that. There are some good and best practices that you should use, but with that said, there's nothing really that pertains to that. There are some rules and regs that pertain to how close you could put booths and tents next to each other, distances for propane and, and things like that. But the fire code predominantly pertains to physical buildings, structures. So um, in every building that has an event in it, I don't care if it's a Katy Perry concert or something significantly smaller like a comedy works thing, floor plans are looked at and they're reviewed for exit analysis and looking at crowds. Um, the operations division, I don't know if that's kind of clear or not. We're broken essentially on duty every single day. We have 230 firefighters. Um, that is firefighters who are working in fire apparatus ready to respond to mitigate emergencies. Um, essentially, we're broken down into six districts. We have uh, about 75 fire rescue apparatus that are working and we have a full technical rescue team. That includes structural collapse, confined space, high angle rescue, swift water rescue, open water rescue, ice rescue, um, and a full hazmat decon team. Uh, with that said, unlike Denver Health and Hospitals and the paramedic division, and unlike the Denver Police Department, our assets are fixed. And what I mean by that is that we run 200 and approximately 30 firefighters, including the airport, every day, 24-7. It does not change. So if I bring in half a million people to Pride Fest, we don't upstaff. We don't upstaff for a Super Bowl. We don't, the only time we've ever increased in the history of the fire department since 1866 is for the DNC. That's the only time we've ever done it. So what that means to you is if even a small incident occurs, even if it's just a heat related, uh, it's, the temperatures are really high, we didn't have enough water, and the 911 system starts to get called and utilized, it will tax and burden our system. We are running approximately 150 to 160,000 calls a year, and the Denver Fire Department has no ambulances. So I, I don't know if that means anything, but we have some of the busiest fire trucks in the country. Um, and we are highly, highly, highly busy, especially in the downtown area, which is where most of our events are. So having good, strong plans that are well communicated allow us to effectively work together as a team to kind of mitigate that. 
obviously control measures for success, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. Ongoing hazard analysis, which is what we've been talking about all day. Um, just looking at what, what, are the, what could trip us up, even if you're just thinking about it. Uh, continuous communication, both internal and external, with your folks that you have, as well as the various agencies throughout the city. And we have some very good uh, mechanisms within our own infrastructure now that allow us to communicate and have good dialogue with each other so that we're moving in the directions that we could. Uh, frequently on the fire department end, um, and it is what it is, we, are, we don't change a whole heck of a lot. We respond to, you tell us, hey, this is what we're doing, and we're just going to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to have to work around this. When we get there, we're going to have to move this tent. We're going to have to figure a way to get around this building. But there are some key things that you could do to help us, and that's having detailed maps, showing us where the entrance points are, showing us if you've gone through Denver water and you're utilizing fire hydrants because now we have limited water supplies. Those are, you know, firefighters and water kind of, at least if you're on an engine company. Um, and, and one of the things that I really like, uh, and we, we did this recently at one of the venues, we have honest after action reviews or post-incident post analysis. When we have something, and even if we always have something that happens, take the time to do a good post-incident analysis or an after action at various levels with your team, externally with the people that we've communicated with before so that the next time moving forward, we're just that much better. And I think, James, you are up. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I, it's an honor. Um, I've been a paramedic for the city for 20, this is my 25th year. I've spent about the last 12 doing event planning. Uh, done a bunch with Scott and the rest of our colleagues. And uh, I wanted to talk to you today about kind of the medical considerations for stuff. Um, start by some history. We, the, since Denver Health was established in 1860, we've always had ambulance service here in Denver. And going back to horse-drawn ambulances. Um, and it's changed in flavor over the years about where it was housed and what it looked like. But, but so we've always been here and we're, uh, we're a, a part of the city's response infrastructure, but we're also a part of the city's healthcare infrastructure and public health infrastructure. So we kind of have our feet planted in two different camps, um, which gives us some unique ability to translate. Uh, we, we speak firefighter and we also speak public health. And, and so sometimes we can connect those two things together by uh, uh, being, being a, a, a jack of all trades, so to speak. Um, the health, Denver Health and Hospital Authority, we're fortunate in Denver that it's an integrated health system that is a vertically integrated system that includes not only the hospital, which is often um, misconstrued as what Denver Health is. It's not just the hospital. The hospital is one component of it. And you can see all the other things they include. Um, community health centers, school-based clinics, correctional care, public health, the EMS system. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty big organization, but it also gives us some opportunities to pull in different expertise and, and to uh, um, be a resource for you for medical planning and public health planning, uh, along with the partners in the uh, Department of um, Environmental Health and Environment. But we're, so we're going to talk about just mostly the EMS component of it. Um, our primary mission is to, is to show up when you call 911. And as much as, uh, as much, and I can't tell you how much I appreciated Ryan's comments about 911 is not a plan. 
Um, that is not a plan, and, and it shouldn't be your plan at home either, and I think personal preparedness is an important piece of, of this as well. But at, at, for events, I think what, what we're concerned about with events is that we still have to maintain the service to the rest of the city, along with our partners in the fire department and police department. And so, so what we ask of you is to make your event as, as self-sufficient as possible. And I like to think of events and the rest of our community as an ecosystem and, and all the things are interdependent. And so I think if you, we need your help. And uh, I think Jordan mentioned force multiplication. One of the things that we believe that uh, we can't provide everything to everybody. We don't have enough resources, none of us do. So we need your help in multiplying that force when it comes to taking care of people at events. EMS follows people, so we're, we're not protecting property like Scott and the fire department do. Um, and so our staffing does fluctuate with the number of people. You heard Ryan mention that we have over a million people in the city during the day, during the business day, and that trails off at night back down to that 680,000, 700,000 people. And so our, the number of ambulances on the street follows that curve of, of population because that's what our services follow. So these are some of the other things we do. I, I won't go into all the individual ones, but we do a lot of other stuff in, in addition to, excuse me, providing 911 services, but, and special events is definitely a core component of, of what we do, mass gatherings. And so on a normal day, when you call 911, this is, what, this is really kind of what it looks like. We work every day in tandem with the police department and the fire department, and Denver 911 as well. Um, which is kind of the portal of entry into the EMS system. We also, uh, we work for Ryan when he stands up the EOC, and he, you know, we provide um, the, the uh, EMS branch for his operations in the EOC, and so he, when he taps us to do certain things there, we're, we're at the ready. Um, it's been really enjoyable to be part of that structure now and the training, and I feel like we're a lot better prepared now from what a lot of things Ryan set up in the EOC. Um, so on special events, um, this is Bill Henderson when um, Estacio broke his neck. Um, this is a, but this is the kind of things that we provide coverage at the events. We, when we assign paramedics to an event, um, our mission is really to the same as everyone else's mission. We want to have a successful event. We want everybody to have a good time. We want everybody to be safe. And we want to minimize, our primary mission is minimizing the impacts to the 911 system because people are still having babies, they're still crashing their cars, they're still having heart attacks, and we still have to be able to provide those services. And if your event, because 911 was your plan, is sucking all of our resources to it, then you're compromising our ability to provide those services to the rest of the city. So we want to help you mitigate that as a, as a potential big picture problem. And then it's important for us to know about events because we do up staff um, and we can help plan these things. We can anticipate potential draws on 911 resources if we know in advance kind of the scope of these events and the and the, the types of events. And I think my colleagues have talked plenty about the importance of understanding kind of the demographics of an event and the type of it. Because we can change our staffing. Or for example, uh, to posting configurations, if we know that uh, 
Sylvia's map that had all the barrier fencing for the cycling event, if we can't get an ambulance into that because of that fencing, then we can change our staffing configurations to put people inside the, the fenced area and move them out to egress points, um, which punctuates again the importance of a detailed map. Where are the egress points? Where can we move people to, to get them out to, to transporting ambulances? So these are kind of the big, big things. Everybody had the same list pretty much on, on their list of requirements. It, you know, the, for us, the footprint matters. So if it's a big event and we're assigning EMS resources to it, what we're trying to do is get patient care to a patient quickly. So if it's a big footprint, that changes the resources that we might provide to that event. So we, rather than having, uh, and oftentimes I've worked with um, event organizers who say, we want an ambulance at our event. Well, if you, uh, I'm gonna give you a little hint that an ambulance might not be the resource you want because it's one ambulance and if it, if it has a patient and it leaves to transport them to the hospital, you don't have coverage anymore. So we may wanna assign paramedics to the event that aren't in an ambulance that can provide immediate care. And the good thing about being in Denver is that we're in the middle of our response area. So we can call in other ambulances to transport those patients and not, and not lose your coverage at your event, your onsite coverage. Um, we talked a lot about temperature and alcohol and all those things. For us, the, the biggest concern is what is going to produce patients or potentially produce patients. And so we're also, as I mentioned, we're the translators. We're also kind of the protectors of the hospital system in the metro area too. Because if we transported everybody who we encountered to the closest hospital and your event happened to be in City Park, for example, we would put all the hospitals around City Park on divert because we would crush them. And so part of our job is to disperse patients equitably across the healthcare system so that we don't cripple one particular facility. So that's another component and another capability that we bring to the party for the city's response infrastructure. Um, we, want you to, we want to help you plan um, I think it was Eisenhower who said when preparing for battle, the plans are worthless, but the planning is indispensable. We want to be included in the planning and not your plan. Um, so if you, have, uh, if you have things for us that you want us to do for you, we'll be glad to have those conversations, but we want to have the conversations. Don't just write us into your plan. And, um, and I think we're all respectful of each other in that regard and the safety community about um, policies and plans. We don't write each other into plans without, without talking to each other. Nothing about you without you. Um, so, and these, these offer us a unique opportunity to do some planning for a disaster without hopefully having the disaster. So if we think about, in, in paramedic land, we live in this dichotomy of planning for what's gonna kill you first and what's the most likely thing that is happening. So we have to kind of live on this spectrum of, I gotta, I gotta address the things that will kill you now, but I also don't wanna assume that you have the worst case scenario all the time. So I, I live on that spectrum of trying to figure out where you are on the spectrum as a patient. It's the same thing for planning for these events. You have to plan for the worst case scenario, 
but you need to also plan for the most likely scenarios that include things like it's 95 degrees out and there's no shade at your event. Well, you should probably have water or cooling stations or things like that. So, so we want you to think, think worst case, but think also what's most likely. And we provide a bunch of resources. We're glad to help you. Uh, we want, you know, we, we'll help you develop a plan that includes uh, how to get a hold of us or, or, and we can provide on-site coverage for certain events. We try to limit those to ones that impact public safety or have, you know, a high threat uh, nexus to them. And we bring a lot of other stuff with us that depending on the configuration of your event and the footprint of your event, we can, we can bring things to move patients out to egress areas or to ambulance checkpoints or, or transport points. Um, and those include bikes, the gators, um, foot patrol guys, uh, and um, we have specialty carts at, at Mile High Stadium. And, but we use, we use bikes a lot for areas where there's congestion or difficulty getting around. And I'll save the rest for the Q&A session and I'll turn it over to my good friend, Eric. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm with Eric Diamond with the Colorado Information Analysis Center. It says Devin Rhodes on there, but he's not able to make it today. Uh, I apologize about not having slides, but I figure it might make it a little more mysterious than what the kayak is. So uh, the kayak uh, was after September 11th, uh, 2001. Fusion centers were established because the 9-11 Commission report uh, said that information sharing was not uh, where it needs to be between federal partners, uh, state partners, and local partners. Uh, so after that, the Fusion Center concept was created. Uh, in 2004, the Colorado Information Analysis Center um, was uh, put into uh, statutes and bill uh, and was created in 2004 uh, underneath the Colorado State Patrol. Uh, it currently resides in the Colorado Department of Public Safety in the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. Um, so we work with the Emergency Operations Center as half of our division and then the kayak is the other half of it and if there's a major disaster we also do uh, the mitigation side of the house. So uh, the missions for the kayak is to provide an integrated multidiscipline information sharing uh, network to collect, analyze, and disseminate. So what that means is we want to work with as many people as humanly possible uh, to get that information, analyze it, and to make this place the safest it could possibly be. Um, and then we want to make sure we get that out to all of our stakeholders, the citizens of Colorado as uh, necessary, and also the critical infrastructure holders. Uh, with that, we want to be the one central point in Colorado uh, for that collection analysis, and we want to, again, do that through cross-jurisdictional partnerships between local, state, and uh, federal entities. Uh, this also includes private sector partnership. Uh, I don't know if Jamie's still over here, uh, but she's uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security, um, MPPD, public... Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they deal with a lot with, uh, if you have a piece of critical infrastructure in the state of Colorado, they're going to go out there and uh, uh, conduct these site assessments. wanted to give it a little bit to her. But they do a lot of the outreach to uh, our private sector partners along with our critical infrastructure team uh, within the kayak. 
Um, and then with that, we also have a terrorism liaison officer program. Uh, this is public safety professionals throughout the state of Colorado uh, who come to the kayak. They get about three days worth of training, um, and then we send them back out to their agencies. Uh, they become our focal point uh, for information. So your fire EMS uh, and law enforcement officers uh, throughout the state. Uh, the idea is to see something, send something, but through the public safety uh, side of the house. We also work again with the cell and many others uh, to try to message out uh, the see something, send something campaign. Uh, special events specific. Uh, so we have a few deliverables that we do with that. Uh, the big thing is uh, in the risk assessment uh, program, you have threat times consequence times vulnerability equals risk. Uh, the kayak is only going to be concerned with the threat and slightly on the vulnerability side of the house. We're not going to be telling you uh, what your risks is or risks are or your consequence. Um, so the first thing up is uh, threat checks. Um, normally we work through the public safety agencies because we find that it works best that way. If you as an event planner come to us and request a uh, threat check and you're not including Denver Police Department, fire or EMS inside of this, uh, we're working in a vacuum at that point and that goes against our mission statement. So uh, all requests normally we like to see them routed through the local jurisdictions. In this case it will be Denver. Uh, once that information or once that request comes up to us, we're going to take a look at it from a Homeland Security and Terrorism perspective. Uh, with that, uh, we're going to liaison with the FBI, DEA, DHS, and many other federal partners, along with checking our state holdings for terrorism and Homeland Security related issues. The thing I wanted to tie in on this is we do not do uh, deep dives on local jurisdiction areas. So if you ask me how many people last year were arrested at X event or if they had a problem with parking, that is not something uh, the state is going to get involved in because that is most appropriate to Denver Police Department at that point. And we do not want to get in that world of uh, trying to say what is uh, DPD's um, area and what their concerns are. So uh, with that, again, it's Homeland Security and terrorism related only. Uh, the big thing on this is, like we talked about with the New Year's Eve uh, uh, show and then also the Parade of Lights, is on the threat side of the house, uh, before you start throwing resources out there, we'd like to have the chance to work with you and your public safety agencies to figure out what the holistic threat is to your event. So the terrorism homeland security side, the law enforcement side of the house, fire and EMS, um, so we can get that picture. Before you start buying bollards that you're going to put up on every street corner, uh, let's, uh, and you spend half your budget on that, let's get this threat assessment done, this threat check, and work together and bring us in uh, early on. The, the great thing about the kayak, in my view, is um, if we're in on your planning session meetings with our public safety partners, uh, one of them that came up is uh, about vehicle ramming. We know homegrown violence extremists are out there doing vehicle ramming like we saw in Manhattan. Um, if you have a question, can a semi-truck make it down Spear Boulevard and start running over people? Uh, we have the anal analysts who can look at that and try to provide the answer to the public safety agencies. Uh, DPD isn't going to want to spend a whole bunch of time on that. That's what we're up there to do from the state's perspective on the Homeland Security and Terrorism side is if you have that question, we will answer it. At that point, uh, all the members of the planning committee can uh, then look at their vulnerability consequence uh, and the risk overall. Before you start spending your money, let us get the threat piece down. Um, because we are also a law enforcement entity, uh, we don't have a real jurisdiction per se or we don't do investigatory, uh, but we are a law enforcement entity. We can provide event support through a mobile analytics team. Uh, primarily, uh, you may not see that, but the police departments are going to see that. Uh, not really Denver because they're 
quite large, but some of your smaller uh, police departments across the state will request our analysts to come in and to supplement as they have officers out on the streets uh, supporting the special event. Our analysts will come in and uh, act as support for those special events throughout the state. Uh, and because we are a law enforcement entity, we have access to a lot of the same systems uh, and we can assist them. Uh, getting towards the vulnerability side of the house with uh, Jamie over there, um, we have an infrastructure protection team in the, uh, in the kayak. Uh, they, go, again, go out and look at critical infrastructure across the state of Colorado. Um, when it comes to uh, special events, that team can uh, go provide uh, physical security assessments of your special event uh, prior to it. Uh, and then they're going to provide you potential uh, options for consideration. So these are physical security professionals. Uh, they're working, I think, uh, Trooper right now is working on a certification for his PSP, and what we can do is bring them in, uh, and if you're trying to set up the fence, uh, they can tell you, hey, this is what the physical security professional manual states is a best practice to do, uh, much like the fire department does, and they can bring that body of knowledge in, along with our DHS partners over there uh, who can, can provide you those, uh, those tips uh, that will help make your event uh, more protected. And so... Um, that's kind of a synopsis of what the kayak is, what we do. Um, before the question hits, before we hit up here, uh, because we do deal with a, a classified realm, people always ask us, are we going to be able to get classified information? If you find it, if a terrorist is going to be targeting us, the short answer is yes. If we know that uh, a terrorist is going to be targeting an event, uh, normally what we've done based off of uh, lots of AARs of previous attacks and even Orlando's, we're working with law enforcement, fire and EMS to get them security clearances so that way it's a more seamless flow of information. Um, but if we know that an event is being particularly targeted, uh, at least, at the very least, the public safety agencies um, are going to be notified because DHS and FBI are the ones that will be uh, sponsoring the sharing of that information. And if you have the need to know or right to know, that information will be uh, passed down at least to public safety and potentially to yourself, uh, and you'll have to sign a non-disclosure agreement for that particular incident. Uh, those are very event-specific, and honestly, uh, I've been doing this since 2006, and I've never seen one in Colorado. Um, so the chances of that happening is low, but if you're ever concerned about terrorism, and will you get the information? If we are aware of a, of a particular threat, uh, the jurisdiction that's handling it is going to be notified, uh, and then if the federal agencies deem that the event planners need to know, uh, you can also be. So any questions real quick? Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Erin Atkinson with the Office of Special Events, and I have the honor of moderating our question and answer section. I know you've all been waiting. So at this time, I'm going to have all our panelists, or all our, um, yeah, panelists come up. Um, and then if uh, Carol and Rex are still here, if you could come up to the front and sit in the front, and David, and as well as anyone else that's spoken today. Um, just to give you an overview of how we're going to run this so we can get to as many questions as possible, uh, Nate Hayden and Anika Alston are going to be on either side of the auditorium. So if you have a question, please make your way to one of them. Speak into the mic when they ask. We'll go side to side just so we can get to as many as possible. If you don't want to ask your question on the mic, feel free to hold your card up. Karen Corelli with our office as well is going to be grabbing cards from you, but don't be shy. Um, I know as a recovering event planner, listening to all these amazing presentations, I have tons of questions, so I'm sure you do too. So. Um, yeah, while we're waiting for you guys to make your way to either side, come on now. Um, I'll kick us off with one that I have as I've been sitting here. So we've talked quite a bit throughout these presentations about see something, say something. I'd love to hear from our panel, how do you message that to your event goers and your volunteers? What's the best plan for that? 
Well, <laughs> one is to tell them. I mean, part of that is to tell, tell your event staff, uh, train the event staff through like the cell and other uh, training programs. The other piece is uh, putting that up as a part of a flyer or part of a handout or just a little block that says, this is, you know, see something, say something, do something. I'm still going to go with my addition that uh, you have to do something about it. You can't just uh, see it and say it. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that you already do, whether it's message boards, whether it's uh, displays, whether it's somebody saying things at the start of an event and kicking it off. There are ways to message that. Thank you, Ryan. He's absolutely right. And what we try to do, too, not only do we message that, but if we get information coming in to us about those, I mean, people do respond to that. They see things that are suspicious, unattended packages, suspicious packages. We put that message right out to, if we have a command post or if we have an event going, we put that right out to that, to that event, too. And we investigate every one of those. So any information we get from CETSET, we look into. So we, we take that serious, and then we determine the threat level. Is there a good threat level? Do we need to do more investigation on it? So that... That information that, that we get from see it, save it uh, is, is so valuable, the, the information we get. And I don't, I'm trying to think how many different situations in the last year we've actually uh, moved on more investigation from information we received from someone that call, saw something suspicious and, and called us. I'd like to just add real quick to that. that I feel like... Uh, we have an opportunity collectively to change the culture of how we manage these events and to, to include you and your staff as a critical component of how these are managed. And again, going back to the comments about force multiplication, um, we have, I, I agree with Ryan, see something, say something, do something, and same with run, hide, fight. We, we add treat on the end of that, run, hide, fight, treat. You should know how to stop bleeding or, and, you know, to provide initial care to people that are injured, too. And so, um, so I think w as a group, if we can walk out of here today with that kind of a direction of changing the culture of these events that, you know, you're part of the solution uh, to these as well, as are the people that work for you. And one last comment is that we call that the culture of preparedness. And that's what we're really trying to create within Denver uh, is this culture of preparedness, that this is just part of your job. This is not something that you have to worry about just because of Vegas or just because of some event. It's just part of your job. And it doesn't matter if we, uh, we can go back to the 19, early 1900s and find special events that went wrong. Okay, so we, this is not new. We're just trying to build this culture of preparedness. Hello, um, I work for a nonprofit, and so for our smaller events, I, I pull the permit, I order the pizza, and we have a good event. But for our larger events, we hire an event contractor, and so our staff kind of focuses on the mission pieces of the event, and we leave the event logistics to the contractor. And I was kind of wanted some feedback or some advice on which tasks or which pieces that you've talked about today would be appropriate to hand over to an event contractor, and which things we should keep kind of like a tighter lid on or keep more in house. Uh, okay, I'll just uh, jump on that one. The, the first thing is the ability to shut down, to delay, to defer, to close an event, um, I think still belongs to the event owner. Um, I think that part is still something you need to keep in your wheelhouse. 
Um, and then the logistics side is more the making sure things are bilingual or uh, you know appropriate for the demographic so that people can get out. If you're dealing with a uh, large uh, group that has access and functional needs, the, the logistics of how do they get in and out of the venue, that's a, that's a great thing for a logistics contractor. They know how to do it. The event contractors do that all the time. That's, that's their ballywick. But the decision process, um, and then maybe what you want to, when you want to notify, and then the logistics are the how to notify. That yeah, and I was going to kind of piggyback onto that, and you'd said something about um, sharing the information and what you should share. I'm a huge fan of sharing as much information as you can. Um, and, and there's really nothing that we're doing that it, it you know, needs to be classified, confidential, compartmentalized, or siloed. It really needs to be shared as much as you can. Um, it can be broken down a bit so that it's more delineated and specific towards groups, but really the more information sharing you have, usually the better informed people are and then their actions are, are, are more in line with what you're looking for. Great. Thank you. Um, so over to Nate's side, we have a question on this side. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's first. Thank so you. So I'm probably the parking geek in the room. And police is the only one that brought it up. But for me, parking and transportation, it is really low on the list as we've been speaking here, but it creates an influx. It creates hazards. There's perimeters. There's different points because you pointed out, is it an adult event? Is it child friendly? Because if it's an adult, transportation could be public transportation. If it's kids being housed, their vehicles are coming and they need somewhere to park. The handicap accessible community needs to be closer to the event. So you need designated parking. Um, smaller events, when it's in a neighborhood, it creates parking for residential areas. I would like to see it a little bit higher on the list and talked about because as parking, it happens always, and then at last minute, we're trying to reserve locations, we're trying to mitigate situations. If alcohol is involved, people are gonna go back to those vehicles and then drive intoxicated. So I think it plays a bigger role than what we've talked about here. And for event planners, I think it should be just a little bit higher on the list. Well, <clears throat> to answer your question, it's not a little deal. Matter of fact, if anything, uh, gets more attention is the complaints we get based on, on you, what you're talking about. So we're very aware of what happens with those. So I, I think it's part of the planning process too. Obviously it's a big deal, especially when we do perimeters and the fence perimeters and there's access or no access to locations. We should be taking that into consideration. And that should be either doing some outreach in the neighborhood for, for the event planner itself or some participation with the police getting some messaging out, because we could do some messaging on what, what, what's going to be closed, what's not going to be closed during what hours. So I think it's very important. It causes the most pain, probably, is complaints on traffic access and parking. So it, it should be a, a, a big part of your planning. Can I add one more thing to that, too? I would, I would add that in your planning to include uh, ride-sharing stops, too, because for some reason, uh, the ride-sharing service folks think they can put their blinkers off, on, and stop anywhere they want. 
And so ambulances, it, 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 every weekend we have trouble getting ambulances down Broadway because of ride-sharing services just stopping in the middle of the street. Was that a, was that a complaint? That was a complaint you're making? He makes a good point. Matter of fact, we're doing some future planning on some future events, and maybe Katie wants to talk about that, but that is a big issue, ride-sharing, because it's popular, it's successful, but it causes problems. So we're looking at different venues and different events, trying to designate parking areas, making sure these people that are using, because it is very convenient. Who, who does use ride-sharing? Yeah, exactly. That's my point. And I see a couple people here from, from the Pepsi Center, and they can tell you the problems we have with, with ride-sharing there. But that's, that's something that has to be planned and I think designated. And, you know, here, if I'm going to have an event, I'm going to maybe designate an area for ride-sharing and make the people walk to that. And it, it really works. It makes, you, it makes your event work. Because what we're trying to do here is have you have a successful event. And if people, it's convenient to get to and get out of, that's part of being a successful event. Amen. And I'll say the same thing. As we said about risk, the venue and event risk, for me, the number one thing on that list was traffic and, and transportation. That, that's the thing that's likely, that's the thing that's going to impact you directly. Um, all I was, I think, saying in the emergency management realm is that the city itself doesn't prioritize necessarily that in the same way. It's not that we don't look at it. I mean, 50% uh, of our general obligation bond is going to transportation and mobility. I mean, we, we recognize the issue. Um, it's just that we may not write a citywide plan that looks at it the way you do as a event planner saying, for my event, I need these things. And I'm on, I wanted to kind of add something to it just to give everybody here just a different perspective on how the police is looking at it and how everybody's looking at it. Um, according to them. Um, so when we have large events, the fire department looks at parking as far as what, what hazards do those vehicles or the vehicles in those lots or areas, what could they pose? How much explosives can I put in that car, that van? What's the impact zones? What are the radiuses? Um, how much hazardous material release, uh, release? What's the wind direction going? So we will take a look at and see all of those factors and how that impacts us and our response. Um, and, and it's not publicly known, but those are things we think about when we talk about parking. And other people are thinking, man, I want to park as close as possible. And we're thinking, oh, man, that could be bad. Right. So, you know, when, when, we're, when we think about things, we all think about them in our own little world. And so I just kind of wanted to share that with you and some of the larger events on how we look at parking. Yeah, and um, Commander Phelan touched on it briefly, but um, it is something the Office of Special Events is looking at very closely. Um, as we all know, the city is changing every day. We have construction. We have new people moving in. So these parking plans need to be, parking and transportation plans need to change as the city changes. So definitely something that we're, we're always working through and learning. And as soon as you think you have it figured out, something else changes. So Sylvia, yeah. I have one more comment yeah. Okay, so um, there's so many different areas in the city and county of Denver when you're looking for parking about how to resolve your event parking issue and not as a police officer but as part of the planning for the um, Dragon Boat Festival that happens at the last weekend of July every year, the Sloan's Lake area. Of course, those neighbors were up and those neighborhoods were up in arms about the lack of parking when that event took place. So w what we did was we talked to Mile High Stadium to see can we use that as our parking venue and then 
we provide the transportation back and forth to Sloan's Lake. And it has worked out wonderfully because the problem was is that the event planners were afraid that they would lose uh, a participation in the event if the parking problem wasn't resolved. And uh, on a different aspect, because of the changing demographics of downtown Denver and the amount of residential buildings we have now, that's huge when we start closing off streets. And I'm going to take this last parade of lights um, as an example, that when you are talking to your event staff and make sure that they are reasonable with the people who are trying to get home and they have to go through the barricade and they have to get around um, the parade floats or something to get home because that's all they're trying to do. So the police department is there and we do everything we can to assist people getting to their home, which just happens to be beyond the barricade for the parade. So make sure that your staff is aware of that because although the parade went without a hitch, um, I actually worked the parade and so there was a conversation between me and one of the staff members about allowing these people to go home and yes, we had to move the barricades to do that. And in the same aspect, when there are businesses inside that barricaded area, they want people to come to their business, so let people walk through that barricade to go to the restaurant or the store that they're trying to get to. Okay, we have a question over here. So in my world, in my world, I'm the primary person that speaks for the event in a, when there's an incident, a significant incident. However, sometimes I'm out and about. I'm not where that person went down or whatever that incident happened to be. So I'm seeking advice. Um, we typically tell all of our staff that nobody can speak about anything, even if there's a dead person on the ground. They, they just say, yeah, I've talked to that guy over there. W what is your best uh, message when we have a significant incident and there are uniforms around, there are other people with responsibility, uh, do you defer to us or what, what's the best practice? You know, unfortunately, that does happen frequently. And I think the best results that we had is we have to get together on that and, and get a message out that we both agree upon. Because what happens, especially now with social media, that's great. You know, you might not want anybody to, to comment on that, but it's already down. It's too late. It's out. And whether that's accurate information or not. And we, we have a little, we can get that social media out too, but we would like to get with the promoter and say, hey, this is the message we're going to send out. Do you agree with this message? Is there a message you want to tell us that we could push out? So it's, it's, it's kind of like a jick, you know, Joint Information Center. We try to get that information and, and speak in one voice and the same message. Anybody else have an additional comment? As the, depending on the size of the event and also if there is a, a longer term event, then the police and fire have their press, uh, the EMS, out in the field. Um, we will consolidate that message across the city uh, if it's a larger event. And that is where you start, you'll be starting to be referred to the city to do that in our Joint Information Center. Uh, again, we want that coordination. That, that Joint Information Center takes time. So unless that's already stood up for your specific event, which, let's be honest, is not usual. We do not bring in 95 city staff and, and the mayor and sit them in the EOC for a parade. Um, we, we work the parade, and if we feel that uh, the situation warrants that, then we bring those additional people in. Uh, also, the mayor likes to parade, 
go in the parade. So, um, so yes, uh, find one voice, speak with one voice as much as possible. And I agree with your, your guidance that generally nobody else should be, you find that one voice and you get everybody else out of that doing press interviews or tweeting about it or picture taking or anything else and try to um, manage that story so that it's consistent. I'm not saying manage as in lie to them. I'm saying truthful, honest, correct information as fast as possible, but with one voice. Scott. Yeah, I think, I think one of the, there's two really strong points to that. One is the, the importance of building and developing relationships and the importance of a strong communication plan. So you know the key players are talking to each other. Key players from the city, key players with your event immediately are having that relationship, or they have that relationship so the dialogue is being had. So that there's not this kind of, there's no reflex time in getting a singular message out to the public. It's immediate and instantaneous. And the other piece of that is the more you develop those relationships, sometimes, you know, and again, I'm speaking from the fire world, not every fire is the same. But there's a lot of similarities. And so, and I'm not saying have a pre-canned message, but a lot of times you could be on the same sheet of music before, the, you know, just through tabletops after actions and talking through things, um, even within various events to say, hey, wow, this happened over here. Man, I didn't know that that happened over there. So amongst yourselves, sharing some what went well, what didn't go so well. Man, this happened at our event. This is the message we sent out. Here was a breakdown of communication. Here's where it went well. And so building those relationships with each other and with us really effectively increase your communication plan, both formally and informally. Yeah, the only thing I wanted to add to that is just to manage everyone's expectations. You know, oftentimes you and I, if you and I are there together um, and you have the quote-unquote dead guy on the ground, I can't talk about what's going on with that. There are federal healthcare privacy laws that prevent me from giving you that information. If you acquire it passively by standing there watching or whatever, you can message whatever you want, but I'm limited very much in what I can say about it. And so for, for in that situation that you described, you can, you can push your message out. I can't really say a whole lot about it. Yeah, I, um, first of all, my, my condolences to another fallen officer. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, my question, I'm kind of beating a dead horse. Uh, I'm hoping trying to get the horse to wake up again. But the situation is, is that um, in my position and some of my colleagues, um, when we deal with some of the event planners, so a lot of the message that you're giving across is more for the larger festivals that deal with this kind of stuff. Well, there's people that are small to growing and the question runs across, well, when do we need to start implementing these type of situations? And frankly, I can't answer that question. You know, like what is to, is it square footage? Is it people? Is it, what is it that where those um, type of um, information needs to start filtering down to their events? Because uh, frankly, a lot of them go based off of cost more than based off of safety. And so how can I translate that answer to them saying, I know it's going to cost you more, but this is better for the overall safety. You have now crossed this threshold. Well, I'll just start from the you know, citywide perspective that my answer is for every event, these, these planning factors should be considered. Um, there isn't the, the firm cut uh, for every single event and definitely not for every single service. 
Um, it depends upon your venue. It, there's a lot of variability. Uh, I think that's one of the things that my staff is, is trying to wrestle with is there's some, there is some guidance out there from different cities, and, uh, but those don't necessarily all translate one for one. So we were working those issues. My answer is first, you'd need to apply it to a party of one and then work up. So you're still worried about transportation, you're still worried about security, you're still worried about egress, you're still worried about warning. It's just you only have one person tell. But then you get bigger, you get the thousands, and then you're talking about, I can't just, my staff cannot you know, do all of those people. And when you get that beyond the size of your team, then you need to start thinking about how do I add in that capability. So that's just, I'm not, I'm not answering your question still. I, but, but I'm accustomed to that. <laughs> uh, and so we'll, we'll continue to try to, to develop those, those thresholds. Uh, I know that we're working that with EMS, trying to develop what those thresholds are when you have to have a medical plan. Um, I think police are probably the, police and fire have done this the longest, so I think they have the best answer. You know, you make a good point. And I think maybe Sylvia touched on it. When do you need security? When do I want it? I know everybody out here, I want security. I want it tight. I want security at every entrance. I want uh, magnetometers. I want people to be wanted. Uh, who's paying for that? And how do I justify getting that? When I know as a security expert, I, I think we need to have that. And so it gets, I don't want to get into too much of the finances, but it gets down to, hey, it's your event. It's your reputation. It's your guests. It's your patrons. It's your, it's your friends. They're attending that event. What do you want to provide for them? What cuts can you make to get that security in place? It comes down to two. What, what kind of event are you putting on? You know, is it a concert? Is it a, you know, is it a uh, tiddlywink convention? Whatever it could be. Matter of fact, did anybody see the, I, I, I have to bring this up. Um, the cornhole competition on ESPN, the championships. I, I could not believe that. Uh, anyway, but they had security, but and that's my point. They had security, uh, and I, I look at that because I, you know, I'm, that's part of my job. But it was on ESPN. I couldn't believe it was on ESPN, but they did have some security stations there. But that's an important part, and I think it's important as a security expert if they call you into that to at least try to make some assessments. And if we could help you, obviously reach out to us, but make some assessments with your expertise and and provide that to the event planner. Says, here's what we have. Here's a potential what could happen, and here's why I think we need security. This could, people could be trying to bring in this substance. People could be trying to bring in weapons. I'm just throwing this out here. You know, what, are, what do you need? And here's what I, and it's up, it's up to each event planner to decide, hey, this is my event, this is my reputation, and hey, you know, I might not make as much money on this, but I think it's important to, to provide that, if that helps. You said reputation. I'm gonna say one other word for emergency management, your liability. So, just keep in mind that you, you are the liable party in many of these cases. So once you receive that permit and everything else, you understand why you have to get a permit for it? It transfers the responsibility and the liability from us to you. <laughs> you permitted that event. You said, I'm going to provide. You're liable for that, those results. So we're not trying to just, I mean, they're still going to sue everybody, but they're, the liability is coming to you as a company. So if you want to stay in business, 
there's times when you need to make a risk-benefit analysis. And that risk-benefit analysis really includes a cost-benefit analysis. Um, you don't need everything all the time, I think. And, and the point uh, Sylvia made of sometimes you have to uh, bend to and be flexible so that you're building the right relationship with the, the uh, community and to the patrons. But we all want security. We all want perfect fire protection. There are some limits that you have to decide. Yeah, it didn't answer it, the question. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I wanted to add, you know, really to get down to, what I would do is Katie and her team at the Office of Special Events is a great place to always start. Um, they work with us uh, daily. They know, they know what our needs are usually. They could start those conversations. So whatever your event is, if you go to the Office of Special Events, contact them, and have that dialogue, they'll be like, yeah, you really need to talk to FIRE, you really need to talk to EMS, you really need to talk to community planning and development. There's all these things that you need to do, and they could start getting you going in the right direction and moving you towards where you need to be um, because they do work intimately with every agency within the city. So for me, if you have a question, I would call the Office of Special Events. I hope I'm not putting a workload on your team. Mm -hmm. But um, that's where I would start. And they're kind of like that central hub that could kind of kick it out, farm it out, and tell you where you really need to go and if, it's, if it warrants having those conversations and dialogues. Thank you. These are great questions. Um, I believe we have one over here, but my big takeaway from that was, Commander Phelan, you're going to join the cornhole competition next year? <laughs> so we'll have to find a different date for this <laughs> over here. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Over here. Well, uh, we're, we uh, obviously don't have the draw of the cornhole competition <laughs> with my group, uh, but we're working up to that. Um, but, uh, so we're, we're a growing uh, organization and a growing event. We haven't had the need for this type of, or maybe we had the need, we're just now becoming aware of it. But my team made us, made us aware of this, and uh, we wanted to be a bigger part and, and take an active role in this. I think you've all established that there's a difference between what's legal and then what's suggested or what is, you know, benefits from good judgment. So, um, and I think, Scott, you may have just <laughs> answered the question I was going to have, but is there a coordinated or streamlined way that we could enact something like, I mean, I really appreciated this, um, and this is not law, this is suggested and, and judgment. So this takes time and effort to build. So how would uh, one go about creating something like this before you need it? Gonna, I'll, I'll give you my opinion. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you, you, it goes back to the planning is more important than the plan. If you draw, if you write something this thick, full of color pictures, and that's really cute, and and it's you know outstanding prose, nobody's gonna read it. So you sit at the table, you sit down with your team at the table, and you anticipate things and you you talk it out over as a tabletop thing and then once you kind of get your footprint identified and your layout then throw the situation of what if something bad happens in here now and then talk through that whole scenario here's what we're going to do and you're you're building your plan by that conversation and it doesn't matter what size your event is you should you should be having those conversations in advance Oh, tabletop is in in exercise design. The tabletop is basically that that you put a map on a table and throw a scenario at it, and you figure out how you would deal with it. 
and then you come away with lessons learned from that and hopefully feed that back into the planning process so that you're anticipating those things and, and coming up with solutions. The, the one thing I'd add to that as an emergency manager is that what, they're, what we're really talking about is the planning is more important than the plan, is the relationships, mm -hmm. is knowing what each person or each agency is going to do is far more important than the writing it down. However, since I'm also an emergency manager, it would be really good to write it down. <laughs> because when, when you go to trial <laughs> after that, you're going to want exhibit A is, I have a really good plan with Scott color pictures in it, but you're, you, the, I, I'm not taking anything away from what James is saying is, you've got to build those relationships, you've got to think through it, you've got to talk through it. If, if, if you just, just yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, though, you're, you're really going to want a written plan, but that written plan comes from the relationship. It doesn't get written in a vacuum. If you sat down and wrote the plan, the plan's worthless. I mean, we're, we're writing a plan that includes over 170 different agencies and, and non-governmental partners and community partners just for the city and county of Denver. That takes years just so you're, I mean, talk about commitment of bringing those people in and having those dialogues and building the relationships so that police and fire and EMS, they, they pretty much know what they need to do. But now, how do I get the fusion center in there? How do I get the state? How do I get state patrol? We have the state capital here. We have um, federal government here. How do we work with all those partners? So that planning is the key, but document it at the end. No, yeah, no argument about that. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think my question was more about like, how do I interface with all these Yes. So the Office of Special Events, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we've talked, I mean, we're going to turn it over to the next um, question in just a minute here, but I do want to know, you know, we talked a lot about how we work with public property events primarily, but we're, our doors are open to any event. So you, you have our contact information, reach out to us, and we're happy to coordinate conversations, meetings, whatever is necessary. So we're going to kick it over to our next question here. So this is another threshold question. You guys have talked a lot about making sure you have a clear decision-making structure and the owner of the event being in charge of executing that. In my experience, especially with relation to fast-moving weather and sometimes capacity at outdoor events, it can get a little contentious. Where's the threshold in when that decision-making moves from event managers to EMS? When is it no longer our call? So, so just as the warning lead for the, the, the county, I'm gonna start with um, one. If you're talking fast-moving weather, uh, the federal government uh, actually gets uh, there before any of us do. Um, the National Weather Service in Boulder, uh, which we have a hotline to, literally pick it up and it's answered at the other end, uh, but they'll issue that warning almost immediate. They're the ones looking at that from the weather side, uh, and they will issue that warning and everybody gets, a, you know, just like an amber alert, a weather alert on your, your phone. We then will take actions either at the 911 center, uh, fire uh, does that uh, at Denver International Airport, uh, their op staff or us, and we'll start issuing like the tornado sirens. Um, so that isn't sometimes your call. If it's immediate life safety, we're going to supersede probably your process. And your process should be, if I see this alert and if I hear the siren, what do I tell my staff to do to help implement that, that protective action. If you're talking about the longer term things or something that's slower moving, and uh, then the idea is the police generally, police or fire, will engage you directly. 
and ask the event to be delayed or to be postponed and let you implement that. Um, and that's so if we knew that the flooding was happening, but it's going to take some time, we're going to engage you at the local level, at the event level, instead of saying that to everybody and kind of superseding. But if it's tornado or supercell, we're sorry, you're, you're not even in that discussion process. I, I'm, we're going to issue that warning. We're going to do it to the whole city or a whole area, and we're going to do it almost instantaneous. Anybody On the EMS side, uh, to get to that part of your question, um, I'm not going to make you do anything. You know, our, our thing is, I mean, really, we're there for patients. So if your event's starting produce, to produce a lot of patients, I'm going to find who your point of contact is and say, hey, you need to fix whatever's producing these patients. <laughs> and, and, and that might be sometimes, I mean, and sometimes, hopefully, we've addressed most of that in the planning part. Um, and, you know, if, if we're looking at the weather forecast a week out and it's 100 degrees and you have no shade, then I'm going to tell you, hey, man, you probably ought to figure out a water supply for people and provide it for them. And, and, or you should have misters or shade, you know, put tents up for shade or things like that. Because if we get to game day and, you know, I'm we're sending ambulances constantly to transport people out of your event, then we'll have a different conversation. And then, and, and, you know, and it'll probably include all of us in the public safety in the response community because it's going to impact all of us. So when we're looking at a weather event, um, whether it's, you know, we have, and we have venues that do, right? So we have Red Rocks, we have Coors Field, we have these open venues that have people in them all the time. And Commander Phelan's there, I think almost every one of them. So, and this is not, yeah, this is not uncommon. So really what these venues do is you have to have a good relationship with the command team with you guys, the command infrastructure with us, and a decision is made. The information is garnered. We look at the information and say, what are the, what's, what's going on? What's the track of this? And you make decisions. Um, ultimately, you know, usually in a good system, nobody is saying, hey, dude, you're not, the, you're not it anymore. It's us. It's usually a collaborative effort, and it's, it's gently passed off from one to the other. Like, this is not your decision anymore. This is the fire department's decision to evacuate this venue. You know, it's never like, sorry, this is too big for you. It's never like that. What it should be is we know your command team. You know our command team. We're in communications. Information is coming down saying, hey, in seven minutes, we're going to have a really bad whatever. Decisions need to be made. And then we make a decision. So and I'll let Commander Phelan speak to that maybe from a Red Rocks or a course. And I think most of these major venues have a threshold. You know, lightning is one mile away or two seconds, whatever they do. They all contract with the private uh, meteorological how do I, yeah, company, and they know what it is. But what they do, and we've done it several times at Red Rocks. We, we saw it done, I think, in the Broncos in an NFL game where they stopped play. And that, but that's done in, as a unified decision. A unified command comes together emergency response team, whatever, whatever venues want to call theirs, and they'll, they'll make a decision, hey, we understand this is your venue, we, you're, we understand you're a promoter, you're here to make money, what, are we, what, what is the most prudent decision to make? And is it going to shelter in place, we think it's going to come over, we're going to pull the band off, or the players off? So those decisions are made jointly, but it's it, not one individual should be making that decision. Okay, thank you. I think we have a question over here. 
I have a question in terms of brand management, uh, Commander Phelan, something you said. So it sounds like you give a lot of autonomy to your event planners and event coordinators to dictate not just the plans, but the security parameters of their event. Um, and although internally, if something goes wrong with that event, you know, Rex or Carol might say, well, we're poor planners for the City Pride Center. Um, if something goes wrong at that event, the media is gonna say, well, the city and county of Denver doesn't know how to protect their event goers. And unfortunately, sometimes that's the face of public safety. So how do you manage that with a brand if you say, well, we need 100 cops, and obviously a cost is obviously associated with it, but to protect the brand for DPD and for the city and county? I'll let you talk about protecting the brand. I want to protect the brand. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's a great question. Everyone loves firefighters. Yeah. So <laughs> our brand's protecting. <laughs> you know, you, you know, <laughs> You know, and that, that's a good question, because what happens, we have some major events like you're talking about here, and what, what is the responsibility of the city, of the Denver Police Department, to furnish additional security for that event based on the knowledge we have or the assessment we made from kayak or whatever, what is our responsibility? And we do take that seriously, and we do make those decisions, those assessments, saying, you know, there's this many people, based on the information we have at hand. So, you might be having off-duty officers at your event and security at your event, but based on the information we have that we shared with you, we met, we decided we might need to put additional on-duty Denver Police resources towards that event because not so much, it's not about saving the brand, it's about public safety issue. How, how do we ensure that we have, that, that the people attending that event are safe? How do we ensure that we have a response plan in place in case something does happen from information we have that we can address that information? So that's how we look at it. Twofold. Um, I'm from CUPD. My counterparts and I often talk about this. If you do require security and extra security, a lot of these events they have you know months in advance of planning. You've you know staff fire, EMS officers. Let's say we have an event like we did in 2016 with the Orlando nightclub shooting, and I think six days later we had a Pride Fest here. Um, I don't know if security was increased there, but who absorbs those costs? Is it the event planners because that's what's required of you, or is that just a general public safety? No, we understand, you know, event, national events do affect what happened here, what happens here. So we understand that. So that would be something that, that we'd bear the cost of. We, we want to make sure that event, like I said earlier, is a safe event. So you've done a good job of planning your event. You've had this, which you feel is adequate security for the information you have. But we're, we want to be a little extra careful based on what's happening, what's trending. You know, we read the papers, we, we see what's on the news, you know, you know it, it's the environment today, and so we, we take measures for that. Anyone else on the panel? Yeah, I wanted to add one quick thing to that when you're talking about public safety and protecting the brand. That's the importance of all of us being here together and messaging this out there is that we are doing things heads and tails above, and I'm not in a comparison against other cities, but I think... Ryan can attest to where we are as a city with our infrastructure, public safety, compared to other cities. Um, and, and we take it very seriously, and I'll put it all the way up to the mayor. He takes it very seriously. And when you're putting that out there, when you're having your events, these types of, whether it's the, you know, the, the event forum that we had a couple weeks ago or this, this safety forum, these are big deals uh, in the city. It's a, it's a big deal for all of us to be here and take this time to spread this message to show you what we as a city are doing, what you as event organizers are doing, so that we can actually take this message out to the public and say, hey, we're doing everything we could do to make your events safe, fun, great, uh, both on your end and our end. So getting that out there is... is is a, is a part of it. 
just as an example, the uh, three-year exercise series that we just kicked off this last year uh, starts with a special event. It starts with a special event plan and everything else from a special event. It moves on from there, but uh, I just want to throw that out there that if you want to take it seriously, the mayor, the deputy mayor, every single leading appointee that has, runs a department goes through training specifically on what happens if something goes wrong. And we specifically use a special event to start that off. Thank you. Um, we still have time for a few more questions. Looks like we have a few over here. So following up on that, Ryan, what I wanted to say, we're over at the Auraria Higher Education Center, big campus, everybody partners well, talked with Katie. Um, done events over there, I think we do great interagency. Uh, I'm wondering how we're going to continue to develop a culture of preparedness. I wonder what more we can do to engage community, engage other event planners, vendors, contractors, um, to help us prepare for the unexpected. Uh, because we take it seriously on the campus and with our planners, and you can tell how the attendance here represents Auraria. But to be planned, organized, and executed, it takes a lot of people. Um, and there's been a lot of great things shared here, and uh, we really appreciate uh, the opportunity to continue learning. So that's my question. I'll just start off with uh, your emergency manager, Eric Leaf, and I worked closely together. When you write an emergency plan, we're one of the signatories to that emergency plan, uh, so for the city as a whole. Um, and in addition to just working together, uh, I'm also the chair of the, uh, one of the regional federal grant programs. And so the AHEC, or uh, Higher Education Campus, is like that for us. It's part of our city, uh, despite the whole state arrangement. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, it, you're part of our city. We're, we feel that, you know, you're, you're one, of, one of us, and I think we have a good working relationship. We do extend our training opportunities into uh, the campus. We also, um, if uh, Eric or any of your staff offer thing, training, we offer it to the region so that we can build that re resilience between not only our staffs and our teams, but also out outreach to the uh, actual students. Because that student population, at the end of the day, most of it, except for a very small part of it, goes home, and they go home through Denver. Um, and so in doing that, we want, we want to make sure they're aware um, and we've started organizing between like Pepsi Center and, and, a, uh, and the campus to make sure that if we do something with a Pepsi Center, if the campus does something, that we're looking at how that affects the city. Nationally, where do we rate right now as far as being on top of these um, climate changes, if you will, in regards to things that we see uh, with big um, events or large bodies of people gathering? How do you feel we gauge against the nation in preparedness and continuing outreach and education? Just curious. Because I, I, I think we do great. <laughs> and I'm not giving you a number. Um, I'm, I'm not going to answer your question any more than I asked, <laughs> answered his question about the threshold. Um, however, I would say that we, this is a demonstration of exactly how uh, much we take it seriously and how many resources we put towards it. I think we host it well. I think the fact that we have an office of special events and that the mayor's office has made this effort to coordinate what is a, you know, 27, 28 different agencies that you have to touch to have a, have a permitted event. Um, I think 
is phenomenal. Uh, I, I'm one of the 20, we're one of the 20 largest emergency management programs in the country. And those 20 of us, in fact, I'm getting together with them in just a couple weeks, and uh, we go all around the country and, every, and, and trade stories about how we're doing, and that's New York City and LA and Seattle and, and Miami, and I can say that we're all working the issue. Um, I think we've all got offices, special events, but it's the 20 largest cities and counties in the country. But I think we're putting the same effort and I think we're getting some of the same impacts that we see in some of the larger cities and counties. Thank you. So you might have a different answer. <laughs> you know, I was going to say that I, I, I have conversations with most of the larger departments across the country and uh, what they do with special events and their large public assemblies. And I would say that we are um, on par with and above most of them. Um, they do some things differently that we look at and say, wow, we wish we could staff like that or do some of those things. And they look at us and go, wow, I can't believe you guys do those things. Um, so what I would say is we're, we are a top tier city um, on an increased trajectory. Uh, and, and I would just kind of from the fire side, that's how I would say. And I would just add to that that I think you're seeing what sets us apart um, to kind of echo what Ryan said. But on the response community side, uh, in my national travels, uh, you don't see the three of us like our friends. <laughs> we, we are friends. Like we care about each other. And we work together seamlessly all the time on everything. And this level of collaboration is not common across the country. And so it, it's everybody pl planning in their individual silos of excellence. The police department's really good at what they do, but they don't talk to the rest of us or whatever in other cities. So I think that's what sets us apart. I think the we've done a lot of joint policy development on for to address specific kinds of incidents and threats um, collectively across police, fire, and EMS. And that's another thing that you will not find in other places in the country very, very often, where we've developed joint response policies, we've done joint training across police, fire, and EMS, where we've trained together. Instead of just within our own departments, we're training with each other. And, and those things, um, you know, for the things that we've done in that realm, we are a shining beacon across the country, actually. A lot of places are looking at us going, wow, those guys got it figured out. And, and we are all, everyone up here and the Office of Special Events always working together to try and improve things and address the changing climate. So great question. Um, I believe we have another question or two over here and we have a few more minutes, so. I had a quick follow-up question on the uh, security liability question. Um, I know with, uh, you know, ultimately it's up to us as event organizers to decide what level of security. You've mentioned that a data point that you're looking for is whether we have armed versus unarmed security. Uh, normally that's a conversation that we often have with our, our insurance carriers um, and, and they'll look at it and, uh, and give us feedback. But I'm wondering from your perspective, are there any tools or any factors that we as organizers should be considering when we make that determination? Well, if you're talking about armed or unarmed security, I think there's a liability there. I think there's a training issue there. I think you have to be very careful on who you select and what their what the responsibilities are, and if they know what the responsibilities are. So, you know, if there's if there's any ever question, I think feel free to reach out to us, especially if you have some questions on your security plan, and you know we'll gladly give you some uh, suggestions what we feel you might need on that, and to have 
armed security that isn't trained, that you don't know that individual, you don't know his training, you don't know his credentials, I think you've you got to be kind of careful with that. Tag on to the insurance requirements thing. Insurance requirements are typically a pretty low bar for planning assumptions. And so in my world, in my world, um, you know, a lot of events will tell us that they want to put an EMT on site because that's what their insurance requirements recommend. And so you have one EMT that is, you know, carrying around a bunch of Band-Aids and stuff. And that, that's not going to get you done at the end of the day when it comes to, you know, particular types of events. So keep in mind that, you know, their recommendations, while that might, that's the floor in my opinion. Anyone else on the panel? Okay. Another question over here. First of all, thank you for putting on this uh, exciting uh, roundtable for us. My name's Marcus Robinson. I'm with Denver International Airport. And we have a unique challenge, uh, one of which is that we just started to activate our plaza over the last two years. And so with our plaza being an airport, having the um, rail system coming directly inside the Westin makes our events kind of challenging. Um, even though I must admit the cornhole challenge that the commander talked about, we actually do have cornhole. Um, we had that last summer, so we're bringing it back. Um, but actually the question I'd really like to know is um, the airport's in a unique situation where we actually have DPD on staff, DFD, paramedics, all the federal regulations in the world. So for us, how do we make that extra step in protecting our our, uh, our guests, since we most of the folks that come in are coming in either they're flying out or they're flying in or they're coming in on on uh, RTD. And so when you talked about the threat assessment, with most of the events that we have, they're actually all family orientated, but we do have our uh, beer flights in the fall. So at what point do we ask our commander saying, because of the increased transients that we have, the increased amount of marijuana that we have on our property at the Westin, do we have to make that uh, ask at the commander level? Yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, DIA, I'm surprised you didn't say DEN, because I thought everybody says DEN uh, with that, but you're also, you and me, you and me. <laughs> but yeah, and fortunately, you know, Denver, there's a commander at DIA, or DEN, and he makes all the decisions, both tactically, security issues, any type of uh, uh, events there. He is in charge of those events there. And if he makes a determination he needs additional resources, he has the, the, the wherewithal to come to us, come to, come to the chief and make those requests, and we will we'll service that. So the starting point is there at DIA, and, and he's responsible for that. I'll add to that. I was just on the phone with Steve Lee over at the airport uh, just today. So um, we work closely with, uh, I mean, again, we treat Denver International Airport as a, as a city department. It's just a city department that's another time zone away. Um, but, but we work closely together, and we just had that question about how we're, we're trying to improve the warning capability at Denver International Airport uh, so that they have the same capability we do to uh, do all, uh, you know, the IPAWS, the integrated public alert, the 
the instant messaging. So we are working those issues, um, just like any other department, uh, Mountain Parks or uh, you know Public Works, come to us and we work together. I mean, that's why we're part of the mayor's office is um, I'm not a safety agency, I'm a public administration agency. Um, I just do public administration the worst times. Um, and so we, we are here to help you as a department or any other agency. Um, we can address that and then bring in the right people. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from the audience? Over here, do you, um, Nico, get a microphone over to you. Thank you, just a quick question. Um, there are more events now than there was five years ago. Yes. And that, I think that trend's probably gonna continue. And again, I, I don't think it matters the size of the event. I think any event is, obviously, if it's your event, it's the most important event in town. It doesn't matter how many people are there. Um, so the couple, it's a two-part question. One is, have we talked about maybe putting together some type of standard response protocol for venues? I know that every venue is different, but at the same time, we share a lot of staff across those venues. A lot of staff that works Pepsi Center also works Coors Field, they also work uh, Red Rocks, whatever it may be. So has there been conversations about that type of training? Because I think it'd be very valuable to have that staff trained across the board to whatever venue they work compared to every venue's different. And sometimes we run into that where they, they're like, well, they don't do it over, this is how they do it there, we do it this way here. And it, it does cause a lot of confusion. So just thoughts on that. I'm all for standardization, but the issue is also what we license and what we don't. And I mean, we can influence, but there, we don't direct, for example, Coors Field versus Mile High. Uh, they have two different approaches, uh, but those two approaches work well for their particular venues. Uh, so uh, my, my team, for example, works with, we have a, a full-time police officer and a part-time fire, uh, fire captain, uh, who's also split among uh, all the special events. And I mean, we're, we're looking to, <clears throat> how do we engage them and influence them to accept common uh, practice, but it's still just influence. Um, we're, not, we're not here to as you kind of pointed out a couple of times, we're not here to tell you, okay, you own a building in our city, you will do X. Uh, that's called the fire code um, and the, is the city ordinance. And what we're here as emergency managers is to say, here's some lessons learned, here's some things we do well. Um, we just had that meeting with Coors Field, we've had that meeting uh, you know, right after Manchester, had a meeting with Coors Field like the next day. I mean, so there are, there are ways to influence and use local events to influence, but it's influence right now for me. And so on our end, Tim, you know that um, all of our responses, and, and I'm speaking, I'm assuming you mean a standardized response as far as what the venue gets for a specific incident. Is that, <clears throat> am I assuming? More form from the staff side of things. Are our, our staff responding to an emergency that's actually happening or could be happening? So one of the things that we've been trying to do is and, and in that meeting we had last week when we did the after action on those four incidents was the last comment that I made to Chris was, um, and we, for those in the room um, at the Pepsi Center, we had some incidents that were, um, that we decided to come together and collaboratively come together between police, fire, and the Pepsi Center and just take a look at how things were handled. 
With that said, at the end of it, my recommendation was is to make sure that stuff is shared with the other venues uh, so that they can learn from it. And so on our end, everything is always the same. We're trying to be, um, for those in the room that don't know, the Denver Fire Department has not had a presence in the command center at the three sports venues um, ever. So we've had firefighters there from a fire code enforcement and a crowd control perspective, but we've never had anybody in the unified game day event command. So with the increase in security and safety, one of the things that we've done, um, and the three venues have been amazing, is we now have a command officer with police and EMS and the command teams from those three venues in a, in a game day command scenario so that the key critical decisions can be made in a very timely and effective manner and in accordance with the incident action or emergency action plans. So I think one of the things, one of the factors that would really assist is, is that we find that some of the emergency action plans are different between the different venues. And, and, and not because the building is structurally different, just the way some of, some of the issues are handled. They're not terribly different, but they're just slightly different. Um, and, and you know, like for us, we have, um, you, you, Pepsi Center uses Stadium Medical, Sports Authority Field uses Denver Health. Denver firefighters work hand in hand on EMS with Denver Health. So when we respond to a call at the Pepsi Center, it's very different for us. Um, but I'm just saying. Same for us. And you know, we, we, we don't really like to dictate who you choose to be your medical provider for your events. And nor can we choose. I mean, that's your decision. But, and we'll try to work with who, whomever you choose. Um, it, but one thing that we do try to to reserve um, on, particularly on events that are larger or present public safety implications, is we like to preserve that command and control uh, prerogative on the met, on the medical side. So. That's what we do, as Scott mentioned, we're shoulder to shoulder in all of the other command venues um, because we have different resources that we can bring to bear on that problem that aren't in your building. And But if we don't know what's going on in your building, then for us that presents a problem because it's an unanticipated surge in demand that we, that, you know, could take time for us to scale up to. And so we, you know, if, if that opportunity presented itself, we would certainly love to have somebody in the command position with them in, in that building and, and in other venues. Hey, Tim, maybe I have a different understanding of your question. And the way I understand it is you've got staff, security staff that works Pepsi Center, security staff that works Coorsville, security staff that works Broncos. A lot of those are the same people, but their, their instructions as far as responding to different situations is different based on the venue. Is that right? Thank you. That's what I understood. So what, what, so what, so what, what, what has to happen? I think we're willing, obviously the police department and fire, we're willing to come out there and try to standardize that, but that's up to those venues themselves to come together because it you know, depends on what security companies are working together and say, hey, let's have a uniform response. If I call it code red, if I call it code blue, this what this means here, what it means there, and what it means there. Is that? And I, I agree with that. I think that's a problem, and um, yep. especially with people working, but it should be something similar. So Thank I think you. it comes from those venue managers, though. 
Thank you. We are going to take one more really quick question, um, and then we're going to wrap it up. But um, for anyone that didn't have their questions answered, if you write them down on those cards and get it to anyone from the Office of Special Events, we'll do our best to make sure that we get all those questions answered and sent out after this. So don't feel like uh, we aren't going to take all the questions you have, but we just want to get it wrapped up here. So over here with the last question. So uh, thanks for sticking around. I'll make it quick. I'm kind of tying together two things here. Um, the gal over there a couple questions ago had mentioned how can we all come together, not necessarily on your guys' side, clearly you have provided us the materials with the office and everything to come together. I'm more on the staffing side as well, kind of with my uh, colleague that was over there. So I guess to tie the two things together is basically how we can all work together is from a staffing perspective into one event where I say, hey, let's have a meeting, and they say, no, just show up, I'll explain it five minutes before, and some way I say, hey, let's come out a week before, two days before. Mm -hmm. Basically what I'm saying is if planners include these staff members, not necessarily the members, but the management into their plan or a little bit of their plan, it helps us adapt, prepare, so if there's something, we're all talking about planning, but where's the plan B? How many times do we have a plan B? Because half the time it comes to us to, this isn't working, we need to fix it now, and we have to put our head, which is our job, of course, and we just, we love coordinating and figuring that stuff, a plan B, out ahead of time. And do you guys have suggestions from your perspective as to how a plan B can kind of be planned out? Well, as far as security concern from the get-go, we've already identified gaps in certain events because security staff wasn't there from the beginning that they weren't done. And what happens, what you're talking about happens all the time. You show up, hey, your security, we're hiring you. Uh, show up, meet me here at uh, half hour before the event starts. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to have a knowledge of what that event's about. You're supposed to have a knowledge of where the exits are, the entrance are, the first aid is, lost kids. You can't do it. You're behind, you're behind the curve. So event planners, if you do have security, you need to get that staff involved from the get-go. For, for, for the reason I just said, plus, you know they have the personnel, the staff. We've had some events, uh, I think it was probably one of the slides, we had three events on one day, okay? The, the, the drain on staffing just for security, you couldn't staff those events. So then you're trying to get staff there, they don't know what their job is, they don't know what to do, they don't know what their responsibility is. So the, the bottom line, as soon as you can get security staffing together, implement your plan, get them on board. They need to know what you need to know. Matter of fact, I don't want to get a soapbox. Everybody needs to know what you know. Because when, you, when I go to an event, I should be able to ask the security guy, the vendor, anybody there, where, hey, where's the closest exit? Where's the bathrooms? Where's the, where's the? And if, you're, if you don't share that information, get that out on your plan, everybody should know that plan. And that that's kind of shows the success of the plan. Everybody is on board. Everybody has the information. There's some decision makers, but everybody has that information. And I have that problem too. We'll staff something with 100 officers. Believe me, trying to get that information to everybody is tough. But it's from the get-go. All right, thank you. So, at, sorry, we have about five minutes left. So we're gonna have um, Katie from the Office of Special Events come back up. And um, if we have time, maybe after her conclusion to stick around for a few more minutes, but I know some folks are probably getting hangry out there or have other meetings to get to, so. I'm just gonna throw one last thing out there. Uh, which is that 911 is not a plan. <laughs> <laughs> when he said it. Okay. 
So uh, thank you all. It looks like our, our crowd has thinned, but the majority of us is still here. I wanted to first, I can't thank enough. I can't say enough thanks for this group up here. Um, as you can see, Denver's pretty special. We have I think everyone's emphasized relationships. You can see here, we have these relationships. We work with these guys and women um, day in and day out. And relationships fosters better communication and respect for each other and, and not stepping on each other's boundaries. You can see just from our working relationships how we care about each other. And we're, we're putting it out there for you. We care about our jobs and our roles so much that we need to impress it upon all of you to, have, to build the same relationships within events, you know, meet each other understand what each other is doing, share best, best practices with each other. There's, there's never, everyone's saying it, you, you can never say too much. You can never ask too many questions. So I want you to, um, as you leave here, introduce yourselves to each other, you know, learn who each other is, understand who your community is. Um, I'm going to just say a few thanks. Um, first, Channel 8, thank you guys. You rock. Thank you for, uh, for filming this and, and then being able to extend this further beyond what just happened here today. Um, I want to thank our, our the, the people who helped plan this, OSC, or no, that's us. Um, <laughs> the other Emergency management, um, our, our planning partners, huge kudos for you guys and thanks for, for getting on board with this and, and, and just parallel planning this. We think it was an invaluable process, um, just planning it, not just the presentation of it. Um, David Powell right here, wave your hand. Um, and Nate Hayden right there, wave your hand. These were the two big planners for this. Um, so thanks to you guys, uh, the rest of my office, um, Office of Special Events. If you don't know who we are, find out who we are. We are, we are the, the central hub that can connect you to anyone, any, any agency in the city. Um, and we're, we're busy, but we love it that way. So come look us up, come find us. What we're going to do with this information is we're going to send it to you. If you registered, if we have your email address, we're going to send everything we got to you. Um, when we'll get a list of questions that have not been answered. We'll show you the question. We'll show you the answers. Um, we don't have an end in sight for this process. There just, there just can't be an end in sight. Um, we're looking at new policies. We're looking at new processes, new procedures. There's, we don't know what the next policy is going to be, um, but we're looking at it. All these agencies are working together saying, what is that baseline requirement that we can put out there? There's, there's, there's no magic answer right now, but as you can see, we're talking about it, we're thinking about it, and we're trying to figure out how to provide you as much support as we possibly can so that you're as successful and as smart of a planner as, as you can possibly be, and you can learn from, from each event and from each incident. Um, so the last thing I think what I would ask from you all is that you help us. This is our incident action after action plan. We need to send you guys a survey. We want to send you a quick survey that says, how was this for you? What did you learn? What was the problem? Did you sit too long? Did you need a game or, or something like that, an icebreaker? Um, <laughs> cornhole, 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 cornhole is next. Um, but we want to we want to improve this. Um, we're gonna. This is gonna be streaming on channel eight. Watch it. I sat here and learned probably twenty things that I didn't remember that I knew before. So watch this over and over. Look at your notes over and over. Send this link to people you know. Send this link to the people you're sending. You're you're planning the event for. Say this is what we're dealing with, and and we need you on board because these are the requirements and these are the things that we need to look at. You know, the more that we can spread this information, 
the better for you as event planners and, and for the success of events. We want the best event planners, the smartest event planners in the country. I think we have them. Let's just, let's see how we can raise that bar. Let's how we can be a better uh, city, a better event planners, um, safer, save lives. Um, so we'll send that survey out. Be honest with us. If, if this was boring and you're sore from sitting, tell us that. We'll figure it out. Um, but I just, I appreciate everyone for coming, for your rapt attention. It's been pretty phenomenal. Um, for for this, board, this, this panel up here, you guys have been amazing. You guys are amazing to work with. Yes. Um,